And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is Wednesday. It is hump day. We are halfway through the week. Thank goodness. It's already been a week already. Anyway, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Uh, got a few things to get into. Of course, if you live in Texas, we're being flooded right now. So <laughs> just be careful if you're listening to the radio this morning, driving around. Be careful. Streets are wet and uh, there is some, some puddling going on. So again, you know... And it was an interesting because I put, you know, last week we're talking about it being negative, you know, below, below freezing here. And now it's like in the 70s and we're flooding. So, hey, if you don't like the weather in Texas, hang around a minute. So <laughs> it changes quickly. Anyway, a couple of things. Yesterday, Netflix after the bell reported boomer subscriber growth, over 13 million new subscribers uh, for Netflix. So, again, they just kind of continue to really dominate the whole streaming space. Um, and they're starting to prepare you for more rate hikes. So, you know, it's very interesting. You know, we've, we've kind of touched on this on the show before is that, you know, there's so much competition in the streaming space now. Hulu, Netflix, Apple TV, um, you know, just, you know, on and on and on. And then, of course, on top of that, most of your now services, uh, like if you want the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, etc., you have to subscribe to that. It's just, you know, people are just being feed to death. And, you know, it always amazes me when, you know, people come out like, hey, I have a new Substack, so come sign up for my Substack. You know, just, I'm just curious where, and this is why we provide all our information for free, right? No subscription to our website. It's all free. Um, but, you know, it, it interests me that, you know, where do you reach the point where people go, I, I've had enough, right? I've, I've got all this stuff I just can't really afford to pay for. And of course, this has brought to light a whole bunch of new apps like um, Rocket App and others where they'll actually just, you know, scan your, your monthly payments and cancel services for you that you want. Um, you know, this is going to be one of the interesting kind of models as, as we look forward uh, for a lot of these companies is, you know, how long can, you know, what does it cost you to acquire a customer? How long do you actually keep them before they cut you off and go somewhere else? Uh, they may come back at some point, but, you know, it's, it, this is, you know, the turnover of memberships is going to be very interesting to watch as we go forward. And again, and particularly in the time where more and more people are having trouble making ends meet, they're having to sacrifice things uh, to, you know, just live at this point. Just, you know, the cost of living is exceeding the ability for them to stay up with it. And that's not just inflation. Uh, it, I mean, that is inflation, the cost of living. But it's also just all the other stuff that goes on um, that's, that's happening. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, we've, we've talked about the whole tipping issue right now where you go to a restaurant and you walk up to the counter and you order your food and they prepare it. Then you've got to walk back up to the counter and get your food, then go clean, you know, bust your own table. And then as you're checking out, they go, you know, how much tip would you like to leave? You know, 15, 20, 25 percent. And I've noticed, you know, before it used to cap at 20. Now it's going to 22, 25 though, you know, pretty soon it'll be, you want to make a hundred percent tip? <laughs> so, you know, it's just getting expensive, right? I mean, it's expensive to eat out. It's expensive with the tips. It's expensive with the services. 
And the question just becomes, at what point does, you know, society just kind of buckle from literally being feed to death? I, I don't have the answer. It's just kind of a conundrum. But again, you know, we talk about, you know, we at one point it was all about cutting the cord and get rid of the bundle, getting rid of the bundling. I'm, I don't think it's going to be long before we see the bundling coming back. People wanting to get a bundle of services at a cheaper price to where they can get the channels and the, and the, the streaming that they want all bundled up for one price uh, just to make it easier and more convenient. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't have, like I said, I don't have the answer, but, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see. But it is interesting. Uh, Netflix is doing very well. Uh, stock is going to be up sharply this morning. Uh, it's also going to lift the entire NASDAQ again this morning. So guess what? <laughs> as we talked about yesterday, it'll be a new high today. Um, you know, as markets continue to move higher, we have new highs every day. So it's certainly very bullish. Um, outside of that, you know, economically speaking, uh, Richmond Fed Index came in much weaker than expected. That taps on to the Philly Fed Index, which is weaker. So again, as we still look at the manufacturing side of the economy, it's not doing that great. Services are doing okay, right? But the underlying economic data certainly isn't all that strong. But nonetheless, you know, it's, you know, there's this, you know, kind of this rush to get into the equity markets. And, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But this rush to get into the equity markets, all in the hopes that the Fed is going to cut rates and, and increase liquidity. So speaking of markets, here's what you need to know before the bell. Let's go look at so, uh, kind of around the market in some other areas. You know, we've talked about the S&P lately and, and what it's doing. It's clearly on a buy signal. Nothing going wrong there. Again, no reason not to be bullish. Uh, but I've been getting a lot of questions about bonds, right? Yields have been ticking up. And it was interesting as every day I get some emails like, you know, why are yields up today? You know, there was this piece of data that wasn't good. So why are yields up? Day-to-day -day movements in yields have nothing to do with anything other than just market dynamics. Over the long term, yields will reflect inflation, economic growth, wages, earnings, activity in the economy. That's, that's where yields are, are driven. But day-to-day, that's noise. So don't pay attention to what happens from one day to the next. But we can look at yields. As we've talked about before, yields were very, very overbought. So again, so yields are the inverse of bond prices. So for yields to be overbought, it looks like they're oversold on a regular stock chart, right? So this is actually you know, the bottom half, which is normally oversold for a stock, is overbought when it comes to yields. And that's what we're looking at here is yields to 10-year treasury yield. So it got very, very overbought. We triggered a sell signal, and that sell signal has been in place. And since then, yields have risen right back to the 50-day moving average. We're challenging that 50-day moving average right now. Um, and again, uh, yields are going to look to be a little bit lower this morning. So we're continuing to just kind of wrestle with this. We have finally worked off that very overbought condition. We're getting now pretty oversold on yields. So again, we're getting pretty close to a buying opportunity to add to fixed income exposure. We're not there quite yet, but we are getting much closer. And again, yields could still move up here to say four and a quarter, even 4.3%. Wouldn't be surprising, particularly if we get a fairly strong inflation print that might concern people that inflation is coming back near term. But again, the Fed is slated to cut rates this year. As the Fed starts cutting rates, yields will fall, right? Yields will track what the Fed's doing ultimately. So again, not, not anything really concerning here at all. And again, this is why we talked about taking some profits back when uh, in November out of the long-dated treasuries. We did that, and so we're looking to put that money back to work here pretty soon. We're not quite there yet, but again, just something to do. Now, this is something that Michael Leibowitz will cover in great detail 
at this weekend's conference um, uh, that we're going to have on Saturday. Um, but moving on beyond that, we take a look at some other areas of the markets. You know, the, while the S&P's been doing fantastic, of course, hitting new record highs, small mid-caps uh, have not really done nothing. Mid-caps and small caps really pretty much remain very range-bound here. This is the S&P 600, so this is the 600 uh, small cap stock index. That really hasn't done anything going all the way back really to April of 22. So again, has traded sideways now for quite a while, but has done nothing. Same thing when we start to look at international markets as well. You know, we keep hearing a lot about, oh, you got to be an international because they're cheap relative to the domestic stocks. Remain deeply in a bear market, nothing going on in emerging markets at all. Uh, no, no reason to be invested there at the moment. Again, that continues to look uh, weak. Uh, internet, developed international markets do fare a bit better, but again, continue to remain very range bound here, not making new highs. So again, when we take a look at the market, right, the S&P is making all time highs, but even the breadth in the S&P remains fairly narrow to the big mega cap stocks. Same thing for the NASDAQ. So when you take a look at that, it seems like this overall bull market that we're having right now, this breakout to all-time highs, this exuberance, is a little bit sus, as my son would say, <laughs> because, again, we're not getting the participation follow-up of other markets. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me, who has been experiencing a, a life of havoc lately after his washer broke and flooded his house. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm good, good. Good times. <laughs> You know, stuff like that happens. You know, we talk about, you know, you know, we've talked about home ownership before, you know, people, you know, especially the media is like, oh, everybody needs to buy a home. And of course, you know, ever, ever since 2000, we've done everything we can to get people into homes, right? Yep. With just rate mortgages and subprime and, you know, and, the, and, and you wonder why there's a housing problem, right? And, and housing costs are where they are. But you know what people always, you know, what people don't factor into home ownership and it's always, you know, events like this is all the other stuff that happens at homes. You know, when we buy a house, you know, we get anchored to that initial purchase, right? So I paid, you know, $200,000 for this house and I sold it for 300000 right? I made all this money on my house. I'm, I'm a genius. You forget about all the other stuff that happened in between, the maintenance, the upkeep, the repairs, a washer breaking and flooding your entire house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I keep telling myself it could always be worse. And, and, and yeah, I, it of really course, could, of right? course. This, I mean, this is this is this is minor trouble, right? It's it could an inconvenience. Be far worse. Yes. It's a pain in the rear. Um, things could always be much, much worse. And look, we're blessed we have insurance. Yeah. But you know, you're also um, you know But then you get the joy of dealing with insurance. Oh man. <laughs> you know, it's very eye-opening when you go through something like this to see the actual cost of you you start to understand why insurance is so high. Number one, the process is not right very fluid and they don't no want pun to pay. Intended. They, they don't want to pay out on claims. well but they're like well we're gonna pack all your stuff we'll move you into a new place and i'm like i don't need that i need this to be done right now i want i want to get this done and you know it's you you go through our, we're on our third adjuster and you know adjuster number two kind of alludes like oh well you you already have this is a three to four month process I said no 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 this is not this is like a three-week process i've already got people lined up we're ready to go just you know we're waiting on you and Oh, well, 
Was this planned? What do you mean was this planned? No. I've got life. I've got three kids. We're trying to move on here. You know, like I, I started making calls immediately. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just a frustrating deal. And then so then you have to restart the process almost with each adjuster you have. I think we have a really good one right now, which, uh, you know, we're, we'll see. Um, you know, because that will likely change as well. So <laughs> it, it, well, well, our heart goes out to you. It's always very... Uh, it's it's very trying when these things happen, and, and look, we've been through too. You know, we, um, my family, we went through you know with Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, you know our our house got damaged and heavily, and and our the hole inside of our house was leaking, and we called the insurance adjuster out, and he looked at the roof, and we hear him up up on the roof, you know, like kicking the tiles. He's like, well, those those tiles were flipped over before. <laughs> You know, before and he was a shady adjuster. We had to go get another one. But you know, it's it's you have to. It's just it's a it's a pain in the butt. It is. And, it is. And uh, it's it's. So okay, I, I feel for you, my friend. I feel yeah, for you. You know, I, so I grew up in Houston where it flooded often, right? Yeah. I mean, like so much so that FEMA tore bought and tore down my childhood home. So yeah. I mean, like this is nothing compared to you oh, know the yeah. water and the things that we used to deal with where it was several feet high I mean this is this oh, is yeah, no that's, big deal. that's 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 what I, I kind of chuckle about too because I grew up in Lake Jackson which is about an hour if you don't know where that is it's on the coast on south uh, south of Houston I, we went our house was flooded three times with yeah. her, you know different hurricanes that we lived through and we had and so I remember growing up this is my childhood home it's 1100 square feet you know Two, two, you know, three bedrooms, one and a half bath. I mean, very small, right? It's just a very small little house, normal for back then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had carpet when I was growing up. We had carpet in the house. And the first time we got flooded, my dad just ripped out all the carpet and tiled the entire house. And so when it flooded after that, he just would mop the house out. And that was it. You know what's so funny, though, is that water so different than like what, what we experienced with you know, right. water coming out of the washer, right? And the things we did back then, and we're probably paying for it health wise. Um, but, you know, like I can remember there's one time that it flooded and then it was it flooded again so quickly that we didn't even have time to do all the remediation. Right. And back then, the mold remediation was oh, yeah, minimal that, compared to what it is today. Well, no, I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such yeah. thing as mold remediation. I don't think we did no, anything. No, like, no. You got the water out, you <laughs> took some baseboards and the, <laughs> you know, some sheetrock out if, at, at best, and then you started over again. Exactly. I think a lot of people got to where they didn't even put insulation in a lot of places. They're like, ah, forget it, it's going to happen again. <laughs> exactly. We'll deal with anyway, it. Anyway, uh, yeah, good times. Yeah, good fun times. Stuff, fun living, stuff. Th living through hurricanes, it's awesome. Um, anyway. Couple of things to get into today. Uh, again, as I as I noted, um, first of all, this weekend Danny will be there as well uh, as the economic summit. So it's just right around the corner. If you haven't got your tickets yet, I think there's a few left. Uh, go by the website, click on the banner. Um, myself, um, I put my slide deck together. I finished it yesterday, talking all about market cycles, those type of things. Uh, but Michael Leibowitz cover bonds. Uh, uh, Greg Vallier talking about politics. And again, it clearly after last night. Um, Trump handily won New Hampshire, has now won Iowa as well. So it clearly looks like it's going to be a runoff, unless something just untoward happens between now and, you know, probably the next couple of months. It's, it's going to be Joe Biden versus uh, Donald Trump in the next presidency. It looks pretty clear. And that's kind of what Greg Valliere is going to talk about in particular is what does that look like in terms of the markets, the economy, policy, all those other things. He's he's very well spoken, very very educated in this area. He's been doing it for for a long long time, so it's going to be a really great um, uh, morning that we're going to have. So I uh, certainly encourage you to come if you can. Just go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com, get your ticket. Like I said, Danny will be there, Rich will be there. We all want to meet you. 
Uh, we'll spend a few minutes talking after the uh, after the event. Anyway, I, I'm interested though. You know, we we talked to Greg a little bit about what yep. he was going to talk about, but I think things have changed quickly too. I mean, you think about this. Typically, when a um, you, you know when somebody's running and they win Iowa and New Hampshire, the next kind of foregoing everybody conclusion. else drops out. Nikki yep. Haley's refusing to drop out. Yeah, yeah, she's just suffering. Well, do you think she's waiting them out for? Bigger implications or something else that may happen. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. There's, there's always a shot that something. That's what I'm saying. Unless something, you know, kind of unexpected happens here. Yeah. But her, you know, if you look at the polls right now between Haley and Newsom, Biden and Trump, right? I mean, the the spread there. It's like Newsom and Haley have like five and seven percent on the predicting markets, yep. and it's like eighty three percent and and eighty five percent for Biden and uh, Trump. So it's just it's just a massive spread right now in terms of the predicted polls and those type of things. So but yeah, I mean, you know, Newsom's hanging in there too at this point. So yeah. you know, something could happen to Joe Biden between now and, and <laughs> somebody knows something we don't know. These guys <laughs> like, ah, we're gonna wait him out. <laughs> well, I mean it is an age thing. So uh, you know, any day now. Yeah, but uh, I am interested to see what Greg says about that because I think that's something that's changed since we yeah. you know initially had all our conversations. I was, you know, I was I was I'm really kind of hoping someday we elect somebody that's below the age of 50. <laughs> well, and, and maybe somebody that's or at not. least 60, maybe. <laughs> like you just there's so much out there. It's, yeah, that's a whole nother whole nother debate. Anyway, uh, but you know that's coming up on Saturday, so it'll be very interesting. Um, yesterday, of course, as I said, Netflix reported earnings. It's going to be up about 48 dollars <laughs> this morning. Uh, so it's very, uh, very sharp uptick with Netflix, and that's going to be driving the whole Nasdaq today. And again, we're and we're into that earnings season part, right? So between now and uh, next week, we'll be getting Apple, Microsoft, Nvidia, etc. Uh, no, sorry, Nvidia will be later, but we'll be getting all these big tech companies out. And just as a side note, if you had just invested, and you know, go back a decade, if you had just bought the Nasdaq. It has outpaced every other index by two to one or more. In some cases, three and four to one. So it, it's been a pretty phenomenal decade. Of course, you know, we talk about monetary liquidity. We talk about zero interest rates. We talk about, you know, all the other issues that go on. The, the deviation between NASDAQ and technology-driven stocks and every other index is – it's interesting, you know, because we talk about the, the S&P 500 every day. No, very rarely do, you know, we talk about the NASDAQ. We never benchmark our portfolios to the NASDAQ, thank goodness, um, <laughs> because, you know, the, the, the differential in that performance is just amazingly enormous. Uh, it's, it's just quite fa fascinating. So, um, but, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's going to kind of continue here for a while because, again, it's, it's a function of what companies can grow earnings. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. We talked about valuations. We talked about the deviation in the markets on the show yesterday. Uh, that article's on the website right now, by the way. Um, but it is about, you know, where earnings growth can come from. And at this point of the cycle and where we are right now, if you take a look at where earnings estimates are for this year, the vast majority of the earnings growth itself is going to come from technology, a little bit from healthcare, every other sector is not expected to grow earnings this year. So it's it's a pretty, you know, bifurcated setup in the markets. And again, as we start talking about the markets themselves, and as I was showing you um, in the first segment, if you're watching our live stream, uh, the gap between 
you know, the S&P and the NASDAQ in terms of putting in new highs and the Dow. I can't forget the Dow. The Dow is there, too. But the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P, yes, are ratcheting new highs. But if you take a look at small caps, mid caps, emerging markets, they're not even close to new highs. So, you know, as we talk about markets and, and as, I, as I kind of wrapped it up saying, you know, this market's a little bit sus at the moment, as my son would say, because, you know, you would you would think that if we're in a strongly trending bull market, the economy is growing, we're going to have this soft landing, lots of monetary policy, that we would see a very broad participation across markets. It wouldn't be nearly as narrow as it is. Now, I'm not making implications. I'm not saying that that's going to that's, that's end. I mean, but you would expect that, you know, a rising tide is going to lift all boats. And so far, we really haven't seen that be the case. You know, to this juncture, it's been and that's been making diversified diversified portfolios, et cetera, much more difficult. Danny, well, I think that's interesting because we did see. You know, if we look back. I'll go back to October. Yep. You know, the end of October, S and P, if you exclude those seven companies, was down. Yep. And then we did see broader participation. We got to the beginning of the year, looked like we were going to continue to continue yep. to see that, and then it's just back to back to where we were. <laughs> exactly. It's easy, it's easy money, yeah. easy out. Um, all right, a couple of interesting things. Um, Danny's one of Danny's favorite investments is the HSA, and there's a new bill out that may help taxpayers. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break and the triple tax benefit, as he always says, the triple T's. That's right. <laughs> Go back after the break. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so welcome back to the show this morning uh danny ratliff joining me as well so there's a new uh a new piece of legislation being introduced by the Republicans in Congress to expand the use of health savings accounts. Um, Danny talks about this quite often because, and he's going to tell you again, so just let me warn you now, that there's a triple tax benefit to HSAs, and uh, it can save you a lot of money, and they're great. Uh, there's a couple of hitches to these, and, and the first, again, as he'll tell you, um, is that your company has to offer this as part of their plan, and this usually is tied to a high deductible insurance plan, et cetera. But more and more companies are starting to offer HSAs, and this new uh, act that they're putting together is called the Simplify and Expand Health Savings Accounts Act, would actually be a pretty big boon for taxpayers, Dan. Yeah, I think this is a, a really good option here. So, so number one, you hit the nail on the head. You you do have to have a high deductible health plan. So, what that means, if you're an individual, your deductible needs to be at least uh, sixteen hundred dollars. If you are you have a family plan, it's thirty two hundred dollars is your deductible. And so, that's what constitutes these plans. Now, we have seen a lot of employers trying to pass the buck on to the employees. So, we're seeing more and more of these high deductible plans. Not always do they offer the health savings account. Um, so you can actually go out and purchase one on your own, go set up one of these accounts if your employer does not offer. But 
we are seeing these tied together because they're they're trying to kind of mask over the, yep. you know, hey, oh, you've got to pay a lot more out of pocket um, for these plans, but we're going to give you the ability to use the HSA. Yep. So, and if a company doesn't offer one, go ask them. Yeah, you can certainly ask them, ask your benefits group, see if they can't set one up. There's really not a, a big cost to them. Now, some companies will offer additional incentives because they'll say, listen, if you will match your contributions to the HSA, um, we will or we'll put in X amount, $500 every year to the HSA. And so this can be another way to collect more funds from your employer. So a great, great tool. So commonly, though, Lance, we do see this misused because you know, we've had the flexible spending account for years where, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, where the HSA, we would prefer people use this as a tool for uh, putting funds aside, you know, an accumulation asset here because you do get the triple tax benefit. So, you know, we've, we've talked about Roth for years and, and now that seems to be really big on mainstream media. Financial media is talking about it, you know, all over the place, right? We've got an issue where taxes may increase. So this is going to be another type feather in your cap in the sense that you put the funds in, they're going to go in tax-free. They grow tax-free. Assuming you use them for medical expenses, you're going to take them out tax-free. And so this is the only account in the world, like Lance mentioned, that does offer that triple tax benefit. So, And, and real quick, and just before you get too far down yeah. the road here, because you, you, you kind of flew by a very, very important point, and I've, I've had a couple of people email me on this, is that the FSA and the HSA are very different. Very different. And so, you know, just because if you go to your company and look it up, it's like, oh, we have an FSA. So I heard Danny talking about the HSA. So this must be kind of the same thing. No. They are not the same thing at all. And like Danny said, he, he kind of quickly blew by the point. The FSA is fine to, to have, but if you don't, the money you put in, if you don't use it by the end of the year, you lose it. I mean, it goes away. So, I mean, that's not what you want. Uh, the HSA, HSA, the money goes in. You never have to use it. You can it can just accumulate there for a decade or two or three or however long you're you're living and working. And when you're in your retirement years, you can then start using your HSA for when you're going to need your health care <laughs> most, you know, in your in your last 10, 15 years of life. But that will be accumulating growth over time. So again, just I just wanted to bring that up because it's very easy to get confused. It is. It's just three letters. And don't assume that one is the same as the other. Well, I think the easiest way to remember that, Lance, is that, you know, one is spending and one is saving. Right. But it, it is a very common mistake we see a lot of people make. And, and I understand not everybody can uh, pay for medical expenses out of pocket. You may need to use this. You know, that's what it's there for. Right. But ideally, if you can use this as a retirement tool, because we know the numbers, you look at, you know, health use services, Fidelity, all these big firms run all these different, um, you know, studies that show that. If you're a couple at 65 years old, you're likely going to spend, you know, $350,000, dollars in retirement on healthcare expenses. So that's premiums, deductibles, out-of-pocket expenses. You know, they all add up over over a long period of time. So, I know that number sounds astronomical, but any little bit that you can put aside, and if we're talking about, you know, thinking about everybody's concerned with the deficit, what the government's doing, uh, our taxes going to go higher. I would think at some point they're going to have to. This is a fantastic tool because as you're pulling these funds out. They don't impact your Medicare premiums. They don't impact social. They're not counted for Social Security taxation. There's so many little things in back pocket taxes, what we call them, that this helps kind of get around. And so, if we're looking for an investment vehicle that gives you some some tax benefits, this is certainly one. Now, the caveat is you have to be on that high deductible plan. You also um, you've been limited what you can put in. So, you know, this year you can put in forty one uh, four thousand one hundred fifty dollars. For an individual plan, for a family plan, it's double $8,300. This new Simplify and Expand Health Savings Account Act 
is going to increase that substantially if this goes through. And I get it. Not everybody's going to be able to max this out. But if you can, this can be a fantastic tool. So what the new legislation is suggesting is that they would like to see it at 10000 for an individual and 20000 for a family plan. So that's a pretty significant yeah. increase, more than double. Um, and if you can utilize this properly, and now a lot of these plans will also allow you to invest. Um, you know, what we typically recommend on, a, on an account like this or suggest is that everybody's different. So no recommendations here. But we would typically suggest keep two years of premiums in cash. If they allow you to invest, then you start to invest the additional funds there. And the reason being is that let's say you get let go from a job, you need to start paying things out of pocket, life happens, you have these funds that aren't going to be subject to the market fluctuations where if things are down substantially, you still have these to make those ends meet and utilize them if necessary. And so these can be a, this can really be a fantastic tool, Lance. Now, the bad thing is you're on the high deductible health plan, right? <laughs> so let's hope you're in good health, things go well. Um, and that's why I think that we're going to see a, a bigger push to incentivize this with more broad usage of HSAs. Right. Well, no, and, and that's, you know, uh, you know, and that's, you know, the, in, in my opinion, you know, the, the, all insurance, in my opinion, should be high deductible. And if it was all high deductible plans, the cost of insurance would come down because you would start taking people that are on high deductible plans tend to take better care of themselves because they have to pay all, you know, if you've got a 5,000, just I'm picking a number, right? If your high deductible plan is a $5,000 you know, deductible, you and you go to the doctor and you've got it. I mean, you, you've got to be sick, right? I mean, if you're going to go to the doctor, you know, it's coming out of your pocket. So you better be pretty sick. Yeah. So people tend to take a little bit better care of themselves. And we've talked about, you know, the, you know, we talk about the, the cost of insurance and why insurance is so costly. You know, the Affordable Care Act, it, it just it was a terrible idea and, 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 and inflated uh, health care prices dramatically for people. But more importantly, you know, if you have high deductible plans and kind of like car insurance that, you know, instead of going to the doctor every time you're sick and it's $25 copay, those type of things, that just increases costs for everybody because somebody's got to pay it, pay that, that $25 deductible or that $25 copay has to be picked up by all the other payers into the system. So again, if you start moving to high deductible plans, the cost of health, uh, health insurance across the board would come down for everybody. But, you know, this is, you know, to your point, it's, you know, there's, if you plan for this, right, you can lower your personal cost of healthcare insurance down because high deductible plans cost less because it's coming out of your pocket first. So you can save yourself some money, take care of yourself, exercise, eat right, diet, um, you know, and do the things necessary, you know, to do that. And the cost of your insurance come down. My wife is, so my wife, and, and it's interesting because companies are now making an, a new push, mm -hmm. right? So for years, I've been on my wife's healthcare plan at her company, right? So because we're a small company, our, our costs are higher because we're a small company. She works for a pretty big company, so their costs are lower. It's just function numbers, right? Yep. So I've been on her plan. Plus, it eases the cost on our company because our company have to pay for me. Thank you. So right. So but this past year, because healthcare is getting so costly for companies, right? So for companies to provide healthcare costs, companies are now making a push that. If your spouse has access to health care, you can't be on your husband or wife's plan at work. Yeah. So in other words, if, if both people work and each company offers health care, so I had to come off my wife's, wife's health care and, and come here, right? So now my company's having to pay for me, which is okay because I'm in good health and I don't use insurance. But, you know, it's, but companies are doing more and more 
to reduce their cost of benefits because it is a such a large cost to profitability. Wages, notwithstanding, right? Wages are one thing. We talk about wages, you know, wage growth, and we talk about that. Well, that's a cost of businesses. But what we don't forget is there's about another 30% on top of a, of a salary that's benefits, taxes, all the other things. So an employee is very expensive to a business. It's, it's the number one expense. Um, and so companies are looking away to de defer as much of that health care cost as they can. And so you're going to see more pushes like this towards, you know, shoving more of the health care cost onto you. So taking advantage of, of things like HSAs and things like this is, is going to help you in the long run. Yeah, I mean, we can make a lot of arguments when you look at the healthcare system as far as, you know, if you're going to have access to the HSA, and depending if they're going to give you a match, I mean, we, we oftentimes will advise somebody to go, okay, go, go get the match from the 401k. If you're not maxing everything out, which we understand not everybody is, most people aren't, um, but go get the match in the 401k. Don't leave any money on the table. Then go back, max out the HSA. Then you circle back to the 401k. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can utilize these to your advantage because you know if you put those funds in, let's say the Roth 401k, while we think that's fantastic, you're still paying taxes right now, whereas, and, and you're gonna get that tax-free growth, but on that HSA, you're gonna put those funds in, you're gonna get the deduction on the taxes, you're going to be able to have those funds grow and then take them out without paying taxes later down the road. So yep. it, it, you really got to figure this out and understand exactly how the match works on the 401k. Also, if you get one on the HSA and then utilize that to the best of your ability to get as much in your pocket further down the road. Yep. All right. Quick break. We'll come back just in time. We'll talk about that, what that means right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Looking for clarity for your investments in the new year? You must attend our 2024 Economic Summit, Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier. Trump will be a big presence. The bigger story, in my opinion, is how weak Joe Biden is going to be. Is the Fed finished tightening? Liquidity, I think, is underestimated. Will rates ease this summer? States are still flush with cash. They haven't spent all their money from the pandemic relief bill. How will the election affect your investments? I don't see any political figure right now who can bring the country conclusively back together again. Register now for our 2024 Economic Summit, Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier with special guest Adam Taggart, plus Michael Lebowitz and Lance Roberts, Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Celeste Houston. Navigating markets in a presidential cycle. Featuring Greg Valier. Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Celeste Houston. Registration open now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So... Back in the 70s, and by the way, there's about as much distance between the 1970s and now as there is between the 1970s and World War II. So, <laughs> just, um, but yeah, back in the 70s, um, when we were in school, we were taught about 
the Japanese method of inventory management. It's called just-in-time. And particularly in the early 80s, this became a, a thing. And, you know, back, back then when, you know, the vast majority of the country was manufacturing-based, we did a lot of manufacturing, we held a lot of inventory. So this idea of just-in-time inventory management was revolutionary uh, to businesses because inventory has a cost. If I'm carrying inventory, it has a cost. And so as, you know, things came about, like Federal Express and, uh, you know, a variety of other uh, delivery services and overnight services, and we speeded up the time that we could get things from point A to point B, the need for maintaining all this inventory became much less because I could produce it, ship it, and have it there just in time. And, you know, Japan's a small country, so for them it was easy. United States, not so much, considering how large we are. So, but over time, over the last several decades, uh, this became a huge boon to corporate profitability, right? Because I could reduce my inventory cost. I held just what I needed to sell to meet immediate demand. And I could order what I needed for upcoming demand and have it just in time for those sales coming in. And this was a huge boon to corporate profitability in the, in the 90s and, and the early 2000s. And all worked fine and dandy until we shut down the economy. <laughs> and you could not get anything delivered. And so all of a sudden, I had no inventory and I couldn't get anything and caused prices to skyrocket. Well, since then, there's been a lot of concern by companies about another potential shutdown. And so supplies or inventories have remained pretty elevated up to this point. There's been an inventory build since the pandemic over these concerns about not having enough inventory. You know, it's kind of like, you know, people that, that, you know, you don't have food for a while for one reason or the other. And then once you can get access to it, you just hoard a whole bunch of it just in case. And it's kind of the same idea for companies. And they've, they've held a bunch of inventory. If you look at inventory levels right now relative to, you know, uh, history, they're at very elevated levels. And now we're going to see companies moving back towards reducing that inventory and moving back towards that just in time, because now they're comfortable that, that we're not going to have another shutdown, right? We're, we're past all that. We're not going to shut down the economy again. And if I can reduce that inventory, that increases profitability. And so, you know, part of one of the things that we're going to look at, you know, in particular for retailers as we go forward is the liquidation of that inventory. Um, so either to reduce that inventory build, I either have to sell the inventory I have at lower prices to get it out, right? That's just how I liquidate inventory. Or I have to order less and burn off the inventory. So either one of those created deflationary issue within the economy. So we're, this will be something worth interesting, you know, interesting to pay, pay attention to. And again, it's not going to be an immediate drawdown. It won't happen tomorrow or next week or next month. Like We're not going to have a massive inventory sell. But this liquidation of inventories is going to occur over a period of time as companies move back to normality. And this also has an impact for demand uh, as well on the economy, employment, right? Because if, if I don't have a bunch of demand coming in for new product as inventories are being worked off, I don't need to hire as many people. Right. So there's there's some ramifications to this that'll be worth paying attention to. And we're seeing this, right? We're seeing this in the Philly Fed. We're seeing this in the, the in the Richmond Fed index. We're seeing new orders not really picking up a whole lot. 
new orders have been declining. Uh, take a look at Philly Fed just recently, Richmond Fed uh, index yesterday. New orders are under pressure, right? People aren't ordering a bunch because they have all this inventory already sitting on their books. Well, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty. I mean, people are still concerned. I mean, you talk to a lot of businesses and business owners, and they say, listen, our financial forecast isn't as worth mm -hmm. what the paper we're putting it on right now because there's so many things that are occurring. And while I think, albeit, people are feeling better, I mean, you look at the market right now about the overall market, I'm not so sure you're beginning to see more and more, you know, uh, news of layoffs, hiring freezes. Does that start to impact people's spending habits? You know, if you look back at this last inflation print, it was a little bit higher than expected. You look at the core inflation. Mm -hmm. You look at what, what do they call it now, super core, where you right. take housing out altogether. <laughs> I mean, they're coming out with new things. Pretty soon to, it'll be super core, core core of super, and yeah. it'll be one item. That's right. <laughs> Which is what we could do anyways, right? Exactly. Break it all down. This is stuff that we do behind the scenes, kind of looking and trying to get a good understanding as far as, okay, you know, is this transitory? Is this going in which direction? Right. But essentially with that, that becomes deflationary, right, over right. time. Yeah. And, and again, it's just, you know, this is going to be one of the things that, you know, it's going to be the big debate for this year is whether or not inflation, deflation, um, you know, that's, that's still the underlying question, right? Is inflation coming back? Is that why interest rates are going up here lately? Um you know, are we going to have stagflation, which is, you know, healthy unemployment and, and low inflation? I mean, it's just all these different variations of, of outcomes that people are, are trying to figure out. Nobody's got a really good handle on it. You know, the, the question will be ultimately is what does this mean for Fed policy? Because, again, as we've talked about here recently and we wrote about in yesterday's article that's on the website we went through yesterday morning, 59 percent of the survey responses that came in from B of A were either what drives the market in 2024, the Fed, and liquidity, which is driven by the Fed. So, you know, we don't even look at fundamentals anymore. All we care about is what's inflation going to do so we know what the Fed's going to do. And right now the Fed is late. You know, the Fed says they're going to cut rates three times. By the way, their meeting is next week, so we're going to hear from them shortly. They could really rain on this whole parade <laughs> very quickly. Um, but the market's still expecting five to seven rate cuts this year probability of, of the market expectations 80 percent five to seven percent cut uh rate cuts five to seven rate cuts this year and in other words they're expecting something worse than a soft landing but not as bad as a hard landing 20 percent chance of four rate cuts which is a soft landing zero percent chance of a hard landing right so it just just you know which means you'll get a hard landing <laughs> Which may Thanks, mean, guys. Which may be, yeah, may mean that. No, but we'll uh, see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But again, there's there's a there's a big gap between what the market expects and what the Fed says they're going to do. Yeah, the threading that needle is extremely difficult, and I, I don't envy the position that they're in. But I mean, if you look at all the things that are continuing, right? You still have some type of QE out there. Mm -hmm. You still have a lot of money sloshing around in, in mm -hmm. different places. And when does that stop? And if it does, or you get into where maybe it's not that soft landing. What happens then? Then what what occurs historically, at least what they've done, is inflationary. Right. So, yeah, that's a tough one. So, do they say, okay, we'll keep jobs, but we'll deal with inflation, and we'll we'll have this soft quote unquote landing, mm -hmm. softish, softish. But the worse inflation gets, mm -hmm. the worse the problem becomes. Right. I mean, look at the bank issue we had back in March, April, May of last year. We didn't fix it. They just put some paper over it, patched it up. But that's how we do everything, right? We kick the can down the road, we patch it up, paper over it. 
And, you know, that's going to be the question. And again, now we're into this new this new kind of paradigm, which is for for Congress. It's all about just spending money. And so, you know, right now we've got a tremendous amount of federal expenditures that are propping up economic activity. And the question and now some of that's going to end here soon. But the question is, is are we about to start passing a whole bunch more bills either this year or next year or the year after start passing a whole bunch more spending bills that's going to keep putting, you know, more and more money into the economy? Well, the new budget bill, I mean, certainly just did that. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this is what we do with the continued resolutions. We just mark everything up by 8% and say, there you go. So spend more money. Yeah. Do you spend some time reading in there? It's kind of funny. They they count things that like weren't necessarily there that could have been there, like yeah. COVID relief. Oh, look, there's $6 billion that we're not spending. Yeah. yeah. Like, we need to spend that, right? If, well, it's, it, but see, the problem is it's if you don't spend, it's, it's like an FSA. Well, if you don't spend it, you lose it. It is the worst way for accounting ever. We need to incentivize these people to, hey, can you spend below your budget here? And incentivize them that way. Not that, oh, you don't spend it. That's why you get all this frivolous government spending. Because if they don't, you don't use it, you lose it. What a terrible way to run a government. Right. This is why we need Dave for president. Dave? Dave. You, Dave. Yes. Okay. Yes. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a movie called Dave. Um, and there's a the, the basically he's a the, the president is um, incapacitated. Yeah. <laughs> and so they find a guy that looks just like the president yep. to come be the president. And he's a little hometown accountant, has a little CPA shop, you know, and a little strip center. Yeah. Just barely making ends meet. So they make him president and, and they're like, you just sit over there and do nothing. Kind of like we have now. And <laughs> and. And he starts looking at how we spend money. And he says, look, I want to fund this. So it is like, well, if you can save $600 million, then you can do that. So he starts redlining the budget, right? <laughs> and it starts being an accountant. It's like all of a sudden he's saving all kinds of money from the government and, and gets what you know gets things done, makes things better. So maybe we need Dave. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. If you've, never, if you've never watched Dave, it's a, really, it's, it's a great movie. It's old. It's older. So, but it's a good movie. Anyway, um... With that said, <laughs> we need Dave. Um, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get your tickets for the upcoming um, seminar this weekend. Still a few tickets left. Love to see you there. Hotel Sinesta. Royal Sinesta. Hotel Royal Sinesta, yes. 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 Correct. Sorry, it, there's two. I found there, out there's two. There is so, two, yes. Yeah. It's the Royal Sinesta. Anyway, it's right on 610 loop. Easy to, easy out. So, you know, it's easy. And then and the weather's supposed to be nice, so apparently the rain is going to stop. So, we had an event one year. We got completely flooded. So. Yeah. Our, our timing and weather has not been great historically. So this year it looks to be okay. Uh, anyway, get by the website, get your tickets. I uh, got our latest blog post, Michael Leibowitz's new article. Second part of his article on inflation is out today. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow with Mike.